0: welcome to Against the Law, the myth-busting ancient history podcast. We're aiming to separate the good, the bad and indeed the ugly when it comes to facts about the ancient world. Today's episode is part two of our Good, Bad and Ugly trilogy, so we'll be chatting about the baddest of them all when it comes to ancient history. Let me introduce the mad, bad and dangerous to know, in no particular order. We have Senya, who loves all things ancient Rome, Meg, whose area of expertise is the ancient Greek's, and Barney, who's covering the ancient Near East. And the podcast needed a host, so as a necessary evil, I'm here. My name is Flo, and I don't know much about the ancient world, but i badly want to know more about it. So, guys, I'm feeling a little bit naughty. <laughs> what in the ancient world would make me a bad person? Um, That's a great question. Quite a broad question. I think for
1: the ancient Greek philosophers, the bad is the opposite of the good, which might be unsurprising. And we did talk about the good quite a lot in the last episode. Um, And Plato and Aristotle are like two of the main dudes on this, as they are with most things Greek. Um, And they have slightly different opinions to like massively oversimplify it. Plato thinks that the good and the bad is all about sort of knowledge. He thinks that people who understand the good are good. Um, and that the person who would ultimately understand the good is the philosopher who 's sort of seeking to understand the good, and that the bad is almost someone who 's ignorant of the good, not aligned with what is good um and also sort of disordered. Plato thinks about it in terms of like a tyrant, for example, is someone who 's sort of tyrannizing themselves because they 're like out of sync with their own desires, they want bad things. Aristotle, on the other hand, talks about it as like a weakness that you 're sort of Um, it's not just about not knowing what the good is. It's that you might know what it is, but not act on that um, or sort of want bad things, a weakness of will, he calls it, a crazier. So those are sort of like two, that's, yeah, again, massively oversimplifying it, but that is Plato and Aristotle's views. So it sounds like
2: sort of lack of self-control is badness in the ancient world, in ancient Greece.
1: Yeah, for for Aristotle, at least, for some of them, um, a sort of a weakness, like not having self-control or power over your own actions. I feel like given all of the horrible bad things that people did, that's quite a generous <laughs>
2: analysis, isn't it? You know, there, there were massacres, there were horrible things that people did to each other. And just to put it down to lack of self-control, I don't know. I feel like that's quite, that's a bit too nice.
0: So Barney, how about in the ancient Near East?
3: Okay, so yes, concept of the bad in Mesopotamia. Uh, I can put it in one word, demons.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs>
3: like, you can just blame demons. But no, I think obviously not all bad things are demons, but demons are certainly like the malign force in the world order um, that cause bad things to happen. Um, So this probably isn't the same category of of like moral badness that Meg was explaining about, Um, but certainly yes, like bad luck and misfortune and stuff like that. Uh, is regularly ascribed to demons. And I feel like we've talked a lot about this before. Um, Sometimes on Against the Law, I feel a bit like a broken record because chances are, if Flo asks me a question, the answer's going to be either like Hammurabi demons or like omens or something like that. And I just repeat those over and over again.
1: Or Gilgamesh.
3: Oh yeah, sorry, or Gilgamesh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All the hits.
3: <laughs> we had Gilgamesh last time, so I promise not to mention him today.
1: I'm literally always keen to hear about him.
2: <laughs> we could do ancient um against the law bingo.
1: I know Ooh. we kind of had that with
2: like Hadrian and um Homer, but yeah, maybe we should do Barney Bingo. Barney Bingo, that's cute.
3: We could play a game where you have to get me to answer with one of the bingo answers, and I have to try my hardest to resist. <laughs> But, like, provide legit answers still. I just can't say, like, <laughs> Gilgamesh demons or whatever.
1: Who is Enkidu's best friend?
3: <laughs> oh, Shamhat the prostitute, of course.
1: <laughs> his first friend and his best friend.
3: <laughs> but, yeah, I, get, I guess back back to demons. This I think we've talked about this before. It's that, like, bad things happening in... In the world like with your health for example or um bad things you know befalling your household are often blamed on a demon and that's you know to do with it can also be to do with being out of favor with your god which i think we talked about a little bit um but one thing that i thought was interesting um in in terms of thinking about like good and bad as a way to live your life and you know an incentive to act well in in the world maybe like in anticipation a bit like the weighing of the heart in egypt that we talked about last time Uh, you know for not having a bad afterlife um over in mesopotamia they have such a grim view of the underworld and what comes after you know mortal life that there's really no kind of motivation to like be good in in life um it's honestly such a negative view of the underworld and we might have touched on this a little bit in the past with like the ishtar the goddess ishtar summoning up the dead to eat people and stuff like that but like the underworld is just grim and dark and nasty and you know tattered clothes and eating dust and stuff like that it is really quite miserable so you kind of get this sense that like there isn't so much of a like positive redemptive fate or potential um in in death which is really bleak i mean i can see why like talking about the bad this week is might be a bit more like miserable than talking about the good last week but um yeah I just got me thinking like how does thinking about the afterlife like that change your thoughts on life itself if there's nothing to look forward to
1: that's so interesting so yeah is that what you mean that like given everything's going to be terrible at some point there's no point trying to be good in your life
3: it does at least to our like modern ears (laughs) lend you to think a little bit in that kind of pessimistic way um or it suggests that maybe that might be possible. And and actually, there's a pretty good um, text, a Babylonian text, called uh, The Dialogue of Pessimism, um, in which a master is asking his, his slave uh, about a number of topics. And he'll say, oh, I want to go hunting. Um, and the slave will say something good about hunting, and then the master will change his mind. And so the, the slave will say something bad about hunting uh so it'll be something like you know um oh well hunting feeds you so what a brilliant idea master and then the master will actually i don't want to go hunting and they'll be like yeah you're right hunting is very dangerous um and so there's there's quite a nice sort of back and forth on a number of different topics which suggests to me that they were like weighing up the good and bad and not just wallowing in uh divine self-pity the whole time
1: i think yeah i think there's something kind of slightly similar going on in ancient greece that like Because everything is just very random, there's all sorts of awful things in the world, some of which can be ascribed to the divine uh, pantheon of gods, and some can't. That it there's just sort of chaos all the time, and they've got this sort of conception that like anything could go wrong at any moment. Which, but it is all the flip side of that is that it could be something could go right at any moment. So there's this in Homer especially. There's this idea that like anyone around you could be a god. Um, any normal looking human could actually be a god in disguise and that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing so i would say there's just a sort of general like almost leaning towards like a nihilism um because literally anything could happen at any point and you don't have any control over your life so that i think is almost sort of slightly similar to the idea that you're saying barney about like pessimism dictating how you live your life in terms of the good and the bad
3: yeah i see i mean gosh that that potential for gods being everywhere thing really sounds incredibly like paranoia inducing
1: yeah, I mean I think they were terrified of it, but it also could be a good thing. It's the kind of you wake up in the morning being like, Well, could meet Zeus today. Could be awful. Could be the best day of my life.
2: I also feel like if um if you're a
1: woman and you met Zeus in your day, that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> oh 100 <laughs> percent. yeah but it's just that random element like so and I think you also see that in other gods like Artemis is the goddess of wildlife but also the goddess of the hunt and Hermes is the god of um travelers but also the god of thieves so it's sort of like given any any given day you're you could be in luck or you could be having an absolutely terrible time and there's that it's all that real relativity there do you see what I mean And it could be
2: the same god as opposed to Barney's, like, demons are clearly evil, whereas the Greek gods, they could be good, they could be bad. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. If they get out of bed on the wrong side, you are having the worst day of your life. So
2: I used to be really paranoid about genuinely getting out of bed on the wrong side (laughs) because of that phrase. I used to be like, oh no, oh no, I rolled out the other side. Everything's going to be awful today.
1: That's really sweet
3: interesting you talked about gods with dual functions um because i was thinking a little bit about evil um as part of our bad episode um and obviously in uh, in the modern world we talk quite a lot about the problem of evil and in you know in religious context how um how a god or you know say how the christian god could allow evil to exist in the world for example i think that's a A debate that a lot of people are familiar with um, and I wondered how that might manifest itself in ancient Mesopotamia as well Um, because obviously in a like polytheistic system um or as any pointed out in a system with demons in it you can easily blame some things some bad things on a part of that system um or you know the good things on the good gods and if you've got gods who have some maybe like negative traits or they cause illness or something like that then you can very much ascribe it to them and there's room for like capriciousness in there as well right um, so even if a good god, um, maybe you know, does something bad from time to time, that's still sort of the will of the gods. Um, but I wondered if this would change as you kind of approach having like a single supreme deity, um, which kind of happens in Mesopotamia as well. Actually, yeah, the systems always remain kind of polytheistic with lots of different gods. Um, but both Assyria and Babylonia, much later in their history, begin to have just one main god, um, which is Asher for Assyria and Marduk for Babylon. And as a result, you get this really interesting text um, called Ludlul Bel-Nameki, um, in which a pious man kind of muses on the fact that Marduk has allowed him to get ill. Um, and he can't sort of bring himself to criticise the chief god of his, of his culture. Um, but he can't explain why he's allowed to suffer as well. It's also called The Poem of the Righteous Sufferer.
1: Oh, wow. So it's like the problem of evil. Yeah. Very cool. That's so
0: interesting. So now I've heard a lot about what is bad um, theistically. I'm using a big fancy word because I feel like it. Um, what might I expect as bad in ancient Rome, Xenia? Well,
2: the funny thing about ancient Rome is that the idea of what is bad tends to change quite a lot. <laughs> so uh, And so they're all, always quite flexible with um, who and what they regard as bad. And by that, I mean, like, imagine you're um, fighting in, let's say, Gaul, and there's this terrible barbarian enemy and you have to subdue them and you have to, like, massacre all the women and children, which is what they did quite a lot of the time, unfortunately. Um, And then Gaul is conquered, not only conquered, but it's like part of the empire now and we're all friends. And now your best mate is from Gaul. Um, And now you're like importing a whole load of really nice pottery from Gaul. Um, And now like someone's become a Roman citizen who's from Gaul. So they're definitely part of the club. So that's what I mean about the idea of bad changing, you know, suddenly the enemy becomes your friend um, practically overnight. And then this happens quite a lot in Roman politics as well, especially during the late Republic. So the sort of um, transition, the the end of the first century BC, the transition between Rome as a republic to Rome as like an imperial structure. Um, Take the case of Marcus Licinius Crassus, who we've talked about a few times. So he was sort of number one most wanted (laughs) for a while. He was proscribed. Um, So he's literally on a death list and he had to hide. And then a few years later, he becomes not only like the richest man in all of Rome, but he also becomes one of the most powerful men in Rome. He becomes part of the triumvirate, um, the three men in in power.
0: It kind of sounds a bit like a teenage friendship group with all the lovers to enemies to lovers again, like (laughs) storylines.
2: The drama. High drama. No wonder Shakespeare loved this
0: material. (laughs) it's it's ripe for the picking in terms of uh, rags to riches stories and and all sorts of dr- I love it I love it I would definitely tune in to watch a dramatic series about the emperors
1: I think a good summary I don't think I actually came up with this but it's in my head of Greek tragedy could be um riches to rags that's for the Greeks the I think tragedy is kind of relevant in terms of the bad It's like that idea of how quickly things can change, that if for it to be really tragic, you have to be rich and powerful and famous and beautiful at the beginning. Um, It can't be a tragedy if you were already in the rags era of your life.
0: That's really weird because we normally our favorite stories nowadays is rags to riches, isn't it? It's, Mm. It's making your way
1: exactly but it's like a reversal for the greeks you've got to you've got to start as like a king or a prince or a princess or someone you know high up in society and then you fall due to the gods or your own mistakes or the crushing pressures of society
0: well it sounds like they would have been right at home with the um ancient roman emperors that zenia's talking about oh you could write some great greek tragedies
1: about the roman emperors yep especially there's a guy called caracalla He
2: managed to get rid of anyone who opposed him, including his own brother, his wife, his father-in-law. He was just kind of murdering family members, left, right and centre. He was king of the world. And then uh, his bodyguard stabbed him in the back, literally while he was peeing by the roadside.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, that's really devastating. You're just having a nice wee, get a load of relief. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, boom, you're dead. Isn't there a meaning to the name Caracalla? Do I remember that rightly? Yes, it's a type of cloak. I knew that. I, I had a feeling that it was a type of cloak because I remember Caligula means little boots. Yes, another one of our bad emperors.
2: I think Caroline might have talked about this on a previous episode. Talked about maybe our clothing episode. We talked about the little boots and the little cloak. All of these emperors named after
1: items of clothing. And they were both bad.
0: Yeah, so basically don't name your child or give your child a nickname. Of any kind of clothing, and they'll probably end up all right.
3: Is it, um, is caracalla a a diminutive as well as little boots?
2: Yeah, a little, a little type of cloak.
3: Okay, so also don't give your kids like a little style nickname. (laughs)
1: Little, (laughs) (laughs) little boots. Yeah,
3: you know, little candlestick's gonna be a real dick. Yeah.
1: Maybe it's sort of euphemistic. The Greeks do that. the The Eumenides, who are the sort of goddesses of vengeance, that literally means like well minded or sort of you know good good vibes. Um, good vibes is a very loose translation of Eumenides, but it's a it's sort of euphemistic that like um you shouldn't you shouldn't say that they're bad because they'll come after you. So you have to. You could some, Sometimes it's translated as the kindly ones, but they are actually these sort of evil figures of, of vengeance who chase after you and can see the blood dripping off you
0: if you've committed a murder. Oh, my goodness. Mm. We might be getting diminutives wrong, though, because we think they sound quite cutesy, like Little Boots, Little Cloak. It might actually be that they were the first rappers and actually, you know, a name like Lil Trousers is like, you know, quite a big, cool rapper name. Tiny temper. <laughs>
1: yeah
3: yes that would be a great emperor <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> tiny temper this is the second week in a row we've mentioned tiny temper by the way what is it <laughs> i Sweet. i mentioned tiny temper last week because of the song written in the stars that is truly bizarre we've i don't think we've ever mentioned tiny temper in before this series and now it's like two for two <laughs> Do you think we can somehow get him in the third episode, The Ugly? Yeah, <laughs> that's the theme of this series, The sort of subtle
0: underlying theme.
3: <laughs> you know, do you know observation theory that like once you've noticed something occurring, you begin to notice it more and you think it's happening more?
0: That's the Bader-Meinhof effect.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Is it, is it a fallacy or is it just a thing that happens, just a phenomenon?
0: It's psychologically, you notice things more once you become aware of them, if it's something new.
1: So, Barney, are you suggesting that we've actually been mentioning Tiny but every episode?
3: <laughs> we've just, just never drawn attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was, I was actually going to bring that up in context, uh, it, sorry, in relation to Caracalla, because um, he's like the only emperor that I will always recognise a bust of, other than like the obvious ones like Hadrian and, and stuff like that. Like, I just feel like often we'll go to like a stately home and be like, oh, yeah, Caracalla. Oh.
0: Hmm. Is he distinctive?
3: Distinctive beard and hair, I think.
0: He's really quite ugly as well. I reckon... That, well, he'd be good for next week then. I always <laughs> recognise Nero because he's very ugly. He looks like if um, Ed Sheeran had edema and was just had <laughs> a shitty attitude. And Julius Caesar looks like a boy I went to primary school with who always smelled of wee. Right, we're off topic. That was very bad of me um, to to get us all off topic. Um, so, so the emperor's in ancient Rome... Uh, as we know from last week, could be very good. They could be very bad. Xenia, um, were the gods particularly bad in ancient Rome, or did they, did they give us examples of bad behaviour?
2: So I think because there's so much overlap between the Roman gods and the Greek gods, it's a very similar situation to what Meg's already said, is like the gods could be either a good force or a bad force in your life. Um, so you're going to have to certainly pray to them very, very regularly to make sure that they listen to you and make sure that good things happen to you. But equally, um, if a bad thing happens to you, it could be a god or it could actually equally be a demon. So I know in our superstitions episode, Caroline talked an awful lot about demons and how you try to prevent them from doing anything bad by like sewing bells into your clothes or wearing amulets and things like that. So yeah, the Romans were very conscious of good and evil forces operating around them without obvious explanations for them. Um, So, yeah, it's a very similar idea in ancient Rome to what what happened in ancient Greece and and what happened in the
0: ancient Near East as well. So life as a Roman must have been a bit confusing because you have no idea why good or bad things are happening. You can maybe take a, a, a guess at why they're happening. Maybe you didn't, you know, offer the right thing at the right shrine at the right time. Um, and then your harvest failed, Um, and also things are very turbulent in terms of who's your enemy and who's your friend. It just sounds very, very stressful, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I think it was quite stressful, especially to be um, part of the Roman elite. Once the emperors got into power, things, well, for a certain amount of time, things were a bit more stable, but even then you could just have a complete... um, Madmen who, and you never knew where you stood with with them either. So yeah, I suppose you're right. It was it was very stressful, especially to be a high class Roman.
0: I know that we did go through some um, punishments when we went through our law episode um, about things that might happen if you committed crimes. Um, was that was that something that was considered out of their hands, or was that something that was considered all all due to you? Because I remember I was talking about miasma as well in ancient Greece, and that bad bad juju bad vibes.
1: Yeah, absolutely miasma is the the worst of vibes um it was the best of vibes it was the worst of vibes and that's yeah they would absolutely so the, there's um kind of legal and like mythical ways of dealing with bad things such as miasma so they had all the legal systems are set up to avoid miasma so do you remember we talked about how um if you basically if you commit a crime like a murder and then commit another crime like specifically a murder you have to do your trial on a boat um, so that you don't set your sort of polluted body on the soil of Athens so the legal system is set up to avoid bad miasma but also there's all these mythical systems so I mentioned the Eumenides earlier um and Orestes who's a, a sort of famous uh, mythical Greek guy. Uh, He kills his mother, Clytemnestra. won't get into why because it's a very long story, Um, but he kills his mother and then is haunted by the Eumenides for committing that murder. And then actually it's really interesting, at the end of that play they sort of have a a trial where the Eumenides are sort of the prosecutors um, and Apollo is defending him and it's sort of a debate between those two different versions of how you deal with bad things, how you deal with crimes, whether you go with the kind of older system of the Eubedides just chasing him around and haunting him trying to get vengeance or whether you go with a sort of more like legal system which is represented by Apollo who's a newer deity. Um, so yeah super interesting they have like multiple different ways of dealing with it.
0: I can't get out of my head the concept that you might have a court case play out on a boat imagine if we did that now um objection your honor the defense vomited halfway through their
3: statement (laughs) I think you could have like a sort of kangaroo court uh, with like a mutiny on a ship right
0: oh interesting what is a kangaroo court what's kangaroos got to do with it
3: what's kangaroos got to do um it's it's like a it's like a hastily arranged and like somewhat illegitimate trial by like
1: why is it
0: kangaroos?
3: I don't know. Am I right? That's that's more or less correct for kangaroo court, right?
0: Listen, I hear all sorts of words like banana republic and kangaroo court, and I just coast along happily in life, assuming that
3: there's a good reason why it's called that. You do often get kangaroo courts within banana republics. So that's when the metaphors really get mixed. Um, I actually had two jokes based on what Meg just said there, and I just really want to like trot them out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> One after the other. Go.
3: I'm going to do it back to front, right? So in the uh, reverse of the order that you said them. One, is that the same Arrestees from Karma Police? Karma Police, Arrestees Man. Two, <laughs> two um, it was nice that you referenced The Tale of Two Cities um, with the best of vibes and the worst of vibes, but did you know that when Dickens first published The Tale of Two Cities, it was serialised in two different newspapers as a nod to the title? Ooh. I think it was the best of Times and the Worcester Times.
1: Oh God, Jesus, no,
3: Bonnie,
1: <laughs> hang up. Oh, the best of times, and the, that is one of the best and worst jokes <laughs> I've ever heard.
3: <laughs> that's that's great stuff about my asthma, Meg. Um, and actually, thinking about the connection between like badness from the gods and like and the human or like from a legal perspective um the mesopotamians managed in one neat trick to kind of unite them in the same idea um because we know again this is part of barney bingo that um law codes are going to come up quite a lot um a lot of what is sort of clearly good and bad in um, ancient Near Eastern societies can be seen in you know what is prescribed in these codes um but the codes themselves are given by the gods so whilst law is a kind of a human responsibility, maybe, to carry out, um, ultimately the, the, the right to enact those laws are given by the gods. Um, so that's, that's those two considerations, both harmonised into one nice little unit. Nice. Yep. So Hammurabi's remit, for example, at the top of his law code, is to destroy the wicked and the evildoers so that the strong should not harm the weak.
1: Mm. I see. Yeah, interesting. I see what you mean about sort of the semi involvement there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and very, yeah, and absolutely. And there's a a sort of pictorial representation at the top of his famous law stealer, a big black piece of rock, um, in which he is receiving um, the sort of symbols of law from the sun god Shamash, uh, who is the the lawgiver. Um, So connected, I guess, somewhat, somehow, coincidentally or not, same as Apollo, right?
1: Yeah, the sun. I like the
2: idea of the strong not harming the weak. It's like the first ever anti-bullying campaign.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but then funnily enough, you read through the laws and you realise that, you know, the 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 their favourite form of retribution is this eye for an eye style of punishment, right? We've definitely talked about this before. It's called the lex talionis. Um, and yeah, so like if you put out someone's eye, your eye is going to get put out, um, which does have a kind of, not bullying vibe, but it's a strong kind of retribution feeling.
0: I like the... um. You know the, that ethos of protect, serve, and also destroy. <laughs> <laughs> I say I like that. Uh, I like that description. I'm not sure I'd, I would like living in that uh, living in that world. But there we
3: go. Well, at least they're honest about it, right?
0: Absolutely. Well, I swear, also in the, in the ancient Near East, well, in, in all of the ancient world, really, and actually in the modern world, um, if if we're completely honest, there's quite a lot of um, violence depicted. And Barney, I know that you've got some, um, some violent retribution, violent acts, um, <laughs> violent act facts from the ancient Near East, haven't you?
3: Yeah, this is an interesting consideration. Um, it's not so much uh, looking at the internal logic of what is bad or evil, Um, in these ancient cultures but looking at um, how what they hold uh, to be those things might be different from what we have today Um, and you know today we have stuff like the universal declaration of human rights uh, which kind of define across the nations of the world um, things that are held to be good for all for example Um, didn't have that back in the day and in ancient Assyria a famously bloodthirsty imperial state uh they depicted an intense amount of very very horrific violence right um and geneva conventions had nothing on them they tortured their prisoners uh they flayed captives of war they beheaded people they cut limbs off um impaled people and left them outside of cities like really horrible stuff and everything that i've just listed is kind of, like, abhorrent to modern sensibilities, right? Uh, Not only is killing generally held to be a bad thing, uh, but stuff like torture is, I think, deemed by, you know, most of us today as, like, particularly evil. Um, But the Assyrians managed to justify this stuff um, because it was part of their concept of sacred war, something that they had to do to appease their god, Asher. Um, and yeah, so they kind of justify these depictions of extreme violence because they have to, they have to depict them or the, the Kings at least have to depict them in order to keep Asher happy and to keep this sense of order and chaos, um, which he demands in balance. Um, they're sort of subjugating the the disordered and chaotic people outside of the Assyrian empire.
0: So, so essentially they've got a free pass because they're, they say, well, uh, I'm appeasing the gods. So torture's legit. It's cool.
3: Yeah. I guess I think just... Fundamentally, it's interesting to see the idea of of war as sacred, right? I mean, we're used to states in the modern day, like, somehow justifying war, right? Like, oh, the USA has invaded Iraq because Saddam Hussein might be harboring weapons of mass destruction, that sort of thing. That's a a justification for the invasion. But, like, the fact that it was divine to wage such violent war um, to the Assyrians is, like, very unfamiliar, in the West, at least, today.
0: Um, I might start using it in my own interpersonal arguments, though um you know like can you take the bins out I did it last week okay well I'm gonna start an argument with you a divine argument probably <laughs> won't involve as much flaying um <laughs> just a little bit just a tiny bit of flaying, just because if anything it would lead to more cleanup and more bins to take out so true yeah smart so in my mission to be divinely sponsored in my rage, um, are there any are there any more gods that, that you guys can uh, tell me about that might be uh, um, someone I can be <laughs> bad in the name of? Flo, I've got the perfect one for you. She would absolutely tell you to not
1: take the bins out. I'm ready. Um, and her name is Kakia.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Her name's Kakia and that comes from the word kakos, which means bad, I think, as we discussed in the last episode, and the opposite of sort of kalos or or beautiful. Um, And I actually hadn't come across her before. There's only about two sources that refer to her, but she sounds like a total icon. So her role is a sort of she's almost like the snake in the Bible. She's tempting um, Heracles or Hercules, as the Romans called him, um, and she's trying to get him to pursue a life of leisure and then arete who's the sort of the divine representation of the good for the greeks is trying to stop her and be like no 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 you need to do good work and great things and Kaki is like no nah, you can just chill out you should definitely just chill out um and i'm just going to read this is a really old fashioned translation so i'm sorry i didn't have time to to sort of properly look at the greek but i think you can get the gist so there appeared two women of great stature making towards him, making towards heracles The one was fair to see and of high bearing and her limbs were adorned with purity, her eyes with modesty. Sober was her figure and her robe was white. The other was plump and soft with high feeding. Her face was made up to heighten its natural white and pink, her figure to exaggerate her height. Open eyed was she and dressed so as to disclose all her charms. Now she eyed herself anon looked whether any noticed her and often stole a glance at her own shadow. So she's wearing makeup and revealing clothes and she's looking at herself and being like, hello. um. And she's the personification of evil. She's literally thriving. And I just love her. And the later, a later writer specifies that she's wearing golden slippers, whereas boring old Arete is dressed plainly and isn't wearing any shoes. So that's
0: Kakia. She's great. It's kind of a bummer that they look at her and go, wow, this woman's legit the worst. When actually... <laughs> yeah. Kind of like feeling herself. <laughs>
1: I know. I think it's so interesting. It's such a familiar, or in, a, in a really horrible way, it's such a familiar distinction, isn't it? A kind of a woman dressed really modestly. She's thin. Um, she's not sort of trying to reveal, you know, her own charms, as this translator has presumably euphemistically translated like body. Um, whereas Kaki is sort of she's specifies that she's plump and she's wearing makeup and she's she's wearing revealing clothing. But isn't that such a an awfully familiar sort of dichotomy of, of good and bad women? Right. Um, so very bleak. But also, I think she sounds great. And I love her. And also the fact that she's just being like, you should just pursue a life of leisure. Just chill out. Don't do any work. That's my kind of gal. But if you're my boss, then it's not.
0: Absolutely. I think I've got the worst combo because I'm plump, but I dress plainly. So maybe I need to sort of elevate myself and, and get a little shrine to khaki going.
1: Get some golden slippers.
0: Get some golden slippers, be revered um, and also feared.
1: For sure. Absolutely. OK,
0: well, I'm going to I'm going to take on this um, this girl bossing um ethic into my uh, into my future life i think i took a lot from the good episode but i think i can take some from the bad episode as well so to wrap up this episode i think i'm going to ask everybody um the the worst thing that they learned about what's the worst thing the baddest thing that they learned about in today's episode since i got my inspiration from being bad um from from meg's Kakia, meg what's your what's your baddest thing that you learned today
1: I'm not sure this is something I can do it's not really a, a bad as something something bad to aim for but I really enjoyed as I always do Barney's description of the underworld and um, the sort of thinking of the ancient Near East and was it eating dust and sort of all these horrible things and how that reflects on how they think about being bad in their lives because there's just this bleak horrible picture to look forward to I really enjoyed that or hated it
0: but isn't that the point of this episode? Absolutely. I mean, and that is particularly bad. So, Barney, I'm going to go over to you for your baddest thing.
3: Um, I, I realise, actually, there was there was a quote that I didn't manage to get in um, from a translator and uh, academic called Benjamin Foster about death and the underworld. If, if anybody wanted to hear it, it's super bleak.
0: Yes. Yes.
3: Okay. Says that death obliterates everything that was attractive or enjoyable about a human being, leaving only a cold, unresponsive spirit dwelling in a cheerless afterlife of hunger, thirst, and envy of the living.
1: Oh well. Oh my gosh.
3: Ugh, the misery.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> I feel like we've done this in the wrong order. We should have started with bad, then sort of like <laughs> gone with the roller coaster that is ugly, and then ended up with good because that is that's bleak, man. Okay, well, I mean that might be the baddest thing that I've heard this episode. But, but Barney, what is your other than the gra- grammatic issues with me saying baddest? What's your baddest thing from this episode?
3: Um, well, I actually very much like the um, well, so I like Zania's bad emperors. Um, I also like the coincidence that a couple of bad emperors uh, both had diminutive names um, and <laughs> yeah. the warning not to give your kids those sort of nicknames.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. No no bootsies, no little trousers, no tiny t-shirts. Stop it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Xenia, with your knowledge of all bad clothing nicknames, what is the baddest (laughs) thing that you've heard this episode?
2: Well, I must admit, I am terrified of um, accidentally coming across Zeus
0: having got out of bed on the wrong side one morning. Absolutely. So today's episode has been really bad, but it has been also very good. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next episode on The Ugly. So you can join us for that next time on Against the Law.
2: If you're enjoying the podcast so far, why not support us on Patreon? Our different support tiers can get you merch, shout-outs and even personalised content. If you want to hear more from Against the Law, find us on Twitter at Against Law and we're on Instagram and TikTok. Search for At Against the Law Podcast.